Scalawags, the bi-weekly podcast about how crime shapes history and how history has shaped crime. I'm your host, Marguerite, here to tell you another story about mendacious pettifoggers, pusillanimous scofflaws, and knavish skullduggery. Country music is all about sad songs and stories, and this one is as sad as they come. Of course, some people make their own sadness, but if they didn't, I wouldn't have a podcast about it. When you think of doomed Depression-era romance between two young, beautiful killers, your mind probably goes to Bonnie and Clyde. But this is a much briefer, lesser-known story of love and murder. So if you're in the mood, sit for a spell and let me tell you about Tony Joe and Claude Henry. It's only a time capsule. And you know that means quick and crazy. First, my sources. Tony Joe Henry from CapitalPunishmentUK.org and a variety of newspaper stories from the 40s. From the Pittsburgh Sun-Telegraph, a staff writer story from 1942. From the Citizen Ottawa 1978 crime flashback a ridiculous over-the-top story by Max Haynes, a more balanced retrospective was published in the Shreveport Times in 1996 by Elisa Stingley, and also various Dallas Morning News and Fort Worth Star-Telegram articles from 1940 until 1942. A weekly town talk, uh, this was an AP story that came out April 6th, 1940, and as always, Murderpedia. Tony Joe was actually born Annie Beatrice McQuiston in Shreveport, Louisiana, January 3rd, 1916. Her mother was very ill with tuberculosis, and Annie was sent to live with her grandmother. She loved living with her, but after mom died and dad remarried, she had to go live with them. Annie was six at this point, and Grandma had pretty much raised her up until then. Now, by the time she was 13, it was time to make a living. Annie had to go and work in the macaroni factory. But her manager found out that her mother had died of tuberculosis, and fears ran high. Never mind, that had been seven years prior. So Annie was fired. She went home, and when her dad learned she had lost her job, he beat her. So at the tender age of 13, Annie noped out of there. Now there's a limited number of ways a 13-year-old girl can make a living. So she became a sex worker and street hustler. She changed her name to Tony Joe Hood. And I'm going to call her Tony Joe because that's the name she chose for herself. In 1939, Tony Joe had been on her own for the better part of a decade. She was 23 now and working at a Shreveport brothel when she met a down-on-his-luck heavyweight prizefighter by the name of Claude Cowboy Henry. Cowboy was one of her customers, and it was love at first sight. Tony Jo was beautiful. Pictures of her aren't hard to find, and she was stunning. Thick, dark hair, cheekbones for days, You can find her pictures on my Pinterest page at Marguerite Says or my website, thescalawagspodcast.com. Also some on my Facebook page, also called The Scalawags Podcast. 
Cowboy was a big, muscular guy with a face that had been punched a few too many times. It wasn't an easy path for the lovebirds. Cowboy had a bad cocaine problem, and while he knew Tony Joe smoked a lot of weed, he found out that her cocaine problem made his look minor league. But they beat the odds, and both dried out in a hotel and seemed to have stayed clean. They got hitched November 25, 1939, and went to Southern California for a honeymoon. September 1939 is considered the official start of World War II, but that's not what our couple is worried about. There was a different kind of shadow over them. Cowboy had a pending trial for murder. He told Tony Joe that it wasn't any big deal. The killing had been self-defense, and he was just going to go back to Texas and handle things after the honeymoon. He just knew he was going to be found not guilty. This time. See, this was actually going to be Cowboy's second trial for the murder, and he got convicted the first time, but he appealed and was granted a new trial. Well, leaving the state violated his bail, so when they returned to Texas, Cowboy was arrested for the murder of Arthur Sinclair, who was a former San Antonio police officer. Cowboy got his second trial, and on January of 1940, Cowboy was found guilty again and sentenced to 50 years. Tony Joe was outraged. She screamed at the judge and had to be removed from the courtroom. Cowboy was sent to Huntsville, where he tells Tony Joe sadly, Don't wait for me, baby. Move on. But Tony Joe would not. Because Cowboy is possibly the only person she cares about in the entire world and who cares about her. So she starts coming up with plans to bust her honey out of prison. This requires funds. So Tony Joe goes and she finds an accomplice, a drifter, army deserter, and recent resident of the Huntsville prison, Harold Archie Banks. He's from Arkansas. And yes, baby, I chose this case because of the nicknames. So, Archie and Tony Joe make plans to rob a bank to get the money. She convinces a pair of teenagers to burglarize a gun store for her. They get guns and ammo that way. But Tony Joe and Archie still need a ride. So, Archie hides in some bushes while Tony Joe Hood stands out by the highway in Orange, Texas. Thumb out. As I said, she is a beautiful woman and it's Valentine's Day, 1940. They plan to steal a car. Joseph P. Calloway is delivering a new car for someone. It's a Ford V8 Coupe. Tony Joe thinks this is the perfect car, fast enough for a getaway. She throws on the charm, and Joseph not only stops, but when Archie comes out, he is persuaded to take the couple with him. He's headed to Jennings, Louisiana to deliver the car. After they drive through Lake Charles, Tony Joe pulls out her gun and orders Joseph to pull over. She makes him stop the car on a county road and strip. She wants his clothes for Cowboy when they break out. She then orders Joseph into the trunk. Archie gathers up the man's clothes, his watch, and $15 that Joseph had on him. Archie drives for a while, and Tony Joe tells him when to pull over. He does, and she goes and gets Joseph Calloway out of the trunk at gunpoint and walks him across the field to some haystacks. She orders him onto his knees. He's crying and begging for his life. He has a young daughter. She tells him to say his prayers, and then mid-sentence, as he does, 
shoots him straight in the head. The pair leave him, get back in the car, and drive to Arkansas. They stop at a motel for the night, and while Tony Joe is sleeping, Archie does a runner, taking the car. Stranded, Tony Joe buys a bus ticket back to Louisiana with Joseph's remaining money. She first goes to see a friend who runs a brothel, but that friend does not want to be involved and tells Tony Joe to go hide out somewhere else. Now, police aren't looking for her yet. They have no idea she's involved in anything. But Tony Joe goes to see her Aunt Emma. She tells Aunt Emma about stealing a car and shooting a man. And Aunt Emma calls her brother, who is a Louisiana state trooper. Now, her uncle calls Sergeant Dave Walker, who then goes to see Tony Joe. Her uncle then calls Sergeant Dave Walker, who goes to see Tony Joe. She makes a full confession and even hands him the gun she used. He is skeptical of her story, but arrests her and takes her back to Lake Charles, even though he didn't actually believe her. Her story just seemed so out there, and while there had been a man reported missing, there wasn't a body. Once in Lake Charles, Tony Joe gives directions to the police, who look around, finally take her out in a car to show them the body. It takes them a while, but they find the correct field and the haystack, and they finally find poor Joseph Calloway. The bullets from Tony Joe's gun and Joseph's body are compared and matched, and the Ford is found abandoned with Joseph's clothes in it. Also in the car is a cigarette with lipstick on it. Tony Joe is questioned further and immediately gives up Archie. Both are charged with murder, but they are tried separately. Tony Joe's first trial... That's right, I said first. Buckle up. Her first trial begins March 27th, 1940, and in spite of everything going on in the world at that time, she is front-page news. World War II is in full swing, but the U.S. hasn't joined yet. There's lots of press on the trial, and people are obsessed with Tony Joe's looks. At this trial, she claims that Archie was the shooter, but after six hours of deliberation, she is found guilty. In Louisiana at that time, there was a mandatory death penalty for murder. She was sentenced to death by hanging. Archie goes to trial, and he claims the whole thing was Tony Joe, and he never even planned to rob a bank. He was just hitching a ride with a pretty girl up to Arkansas. Again, the jury convicts him, and he is sentenced to death. Both appeal. Tony Joe wins hers because all of the prejudicial publicity surrounding her trial. Archie does not win his trial, so Tony Joe's second trial begins February 3rd, 1941. Archie has nothing to lose this time, so he gets up in her trial and testifies against Tony Joe, and this time she is convicted in under an hour. She is again sentenced to death, but now it's the electric chair because Louisiana has done away with hanging. Again, Tony Joe appeals, and again, her case is reversed and remanded for another trial. I don't know why that one was reversed. Uh, reading accounts of the second trial, I think that the judge may have refused to allow mitigation evidence on her behalf, but it was time for her third trial. Now, December 7th, 1941, Japan attacks Pearl Harbor, and the U.S. officially joins in to World War II. We are now at war, but there are still domestic matters to attend to. Tony Joe has her third trial. 
January 1942, and this one stuck. She was again convicted and sentenced to death. Her death date was set for November 28, 1942, which will be three days after her third wedding anniversary. And Louisiana had a portable electric chair that was actually brought to the courthouse basement. Tony Joe was something of a celebrity now and seems to have been treated well in the prison. She found religion there and was baptized by a local priest named Father Richard. She gave several statements. She is quoted in the Pittsburgh Sunday Times-Telegraph as saying, I did it for Cowboy. Besides my little brother, he is the only man I have ever loved. Sure, I knew he was up for a killing and would have to stand trial, but I didn't care. We both figured he'd get out of it. When I stood there in that courtroom and heard the judge send him away, it was like it was me they were locking up. I severed all I could then. The papers were not kind to Tony Joe, whom they dubbed the Louisiana Tiger Girl because of her fierceness. They described her as having a thin face with small eyes and a hard expression. She is actually extremely pretty, but she was very stoic. Tony Joe had had a hard life and she had learned not to show emotion. But the media still, they're pretty hard on Tony Joe. Remember that crime flashback article I mentioned by Max Haynes? He describes her growing up as this, quote, Annie hated school and loved a good time. By the time she was 14, she had the body of a woman. And at 16, she left home, gravitating from employment as a dance hall hostess to being a full-time prostitute, end quote. That is a really strange way to look at a child that was beaten and thrown out of her home at 13 and had to survive with sex work. Kind of gross. Before Tony Joe's execution, Cowboy Henry is missing his wife and he escapes a prison farm in Sugarland, Texas to try and see his wife one more time. So Cowboy and a 23-year-old man named Claude Byers escape in a stolen prison truck. Byers was serving seven years for armed robbery. The pair were soon captured, however, in Beaumont, Texas, and didn't even make it across the border to Louisiana. Tony Joe and Cowboy did, however, manage to have a phone conversation. She was allowed to call him from the office of the chief jailer on the day of her execution. She allegedly said, get rid of that prison suit and go out the front door. Go straight and make something of your life. Cowboy sobbed through the entire call, but she was weirdly cheerful. Tony Joe felt bad about claiming Arky had done the shooting and took responsibility in a newspaper interview with Elliot Chase, distributed by the AP. She said, quote, I'm telling you I shot him because it's no good lying now. Sometimes I wonder why I didn't knock the man unconscious, but it was like being drunk, real drunk. Ever pull something when you were drunk and that something seemed like the cutest, smartest thing in the world, but it was the awfulest? Well, me, I was drunk with pressure. I told you about my husband, end quote. The reporter asked Tony Joe if she thought about the victim, and she said, In the first place, the victim doesn't return to haunt me. I never think of him. I've known all along it would be my life for his. I believe mine is worth as much to me as his was to him. I wonder, though, sometimes why it's legal now for some fellow to kill me. She also signed a written statement claiming responsibility. 
Before her execution, she was asked if she had any final words, and she just murmured, no. She was allowed to pray with Father Richard, and then she was executed on Saturday, November 28, 1842. This is the same day as the Coconut Grove Fire, a tragedy we're going to discuss in an upcoming episode. Archie tried to break out of prison three times, but to no avail. He also applied for clemency based on Tony Joe's statement accepting blame. Clemency was denied. He was executed in the same chair four months later. Father Richard conducted a burial ceremony for Tony Joe after her family claimed her body. No one claimed Archie, and he was buried in a pauper's grave with no stone. As for Cowboy Henry, he didn't die in jail. He was given a six-month reprieve in 1945 due to ill health and good behavior. Yes, just a few years later. The governor of Texas would take a lot of heat over taking money for agreeing to recommend pardons. July 15, 1945, yes, not long after he was released, Cowboy got into a fight with S.W. Farrow, a Dallas cafe owner. He fled in a taxi, but for some reason, he went back to the cafe. When he walked in, the owner shot him dead, and a grand jury declined to indict Pharaoh. The world moved on to much bigger, more important events than the sad ballad of Cowboy Henry and his fierce tiger girl. Three weeks later, the U.S. detonated a nuclear bomb over Hiroshima, and three days later, detonated a second one over Nagasaki. September 2nd, 1945, is considered the official end of World War II. And that's my story. As always, you can reach me at marguerite at gmail.com. You can find pictures on my Pinterest board at Marguerite Says. Also, my Facebook page, The Scalawags Podcast. My website, thescalawagspodcast.com. Most of all, if you're enjoying the podcast, please hit subscribe and give me a rating or review because that's how I can get seen or heard by other people. Maybe tell someone. I will be back in two weeks with a story from the same time period and a tragedy that reshaped Boston. So until then, get out there and make some history of your own.